Amen, amen. Quick shout out to uh, Tara Robinson for the utilizing the skills to put that together and, uh, and to all those who got baptized. So super fun to celebrate that. And I don't know who did the voice for that video, but that was great as well. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, no, on a more serious note, though, part of my role is I get to read through all the baptism applications for Near North. And uh, just the chance this year to kind of read through story after story after story and just see God's faithfulness in so many people's lives who call this church home. To see those just kind of stacked up one after another is just Honestly, it's really cool to see and something for us to celebrate together. So super excited for that. Last weekend was a, a great, uh, great time for us as a church. So, um, so thanks again for, for the video, Tara. Um, all right. For those of you I haven't met, my name's Trevor. I serve as one of the pastors here in the center region, uh, in particular at Near North. And it is a joy to be here with you all this morning. If you would, go ahead and grab a Bible and open up to the book of Acts chapter 16. We're going to be hanging out uh, in verses 1 to 10 of Acts chapter 16. So no shame if you're more of the digital kind of person. You can navigate your way there as well. But we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 10 this morning. And just a heads up, I am going to be looking for some participation this morning. So uh, we'll we'll get there along the way. And really the idea that I'm looking to explore together this morning is, is just this, that Obedience is the place in which direction is found. Obedience is the place in which direction is found. Meaning if you're at a place where you're trying to find a sense of direction for life, trying to figure out uh, what you're supposed to do, where you're supposed to go, what you should pursue, then the place that you find answers to those kinds of questions, where you find uh, a sense of direction, is obedience. Because obedience is the place in which direction is found. And so that's what I'm looking forward to exploring together this morning in connection with our passage. And as we're working through that, we will have a bit of a structure to guide us. We have these two points uh, for our table of contents. We have forming the team and finding the direction. Forming the team and finding the direction. That's where we'll be going this morning. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into the passage. We'll we'll jump right into that first point now, forming the team. And uh, we're going to pull up a map. We're going to be kind of map-centric this morning, but it makes sense for the passage. So uh, this is what the... Basically, we've been following the second missionary journey. We we got the beginning of it two weeks ago where basically Paul and Barnabas, they're on the right-hand side there in the city of Antioch, the starting point. And they get the idea to go on this journey, but we saw how this disagreement that arose between them led to their split. And so the the dream team, the dynamic duo, instead of going on this journey together, uh, they were unable to kind of over and work their way through this conflict. And so they actually split into two different teams and went in opposite directions, with Barnabas taking John Mark and sailing to the island of Cyprus, and Paul taking Silas and going up through the regions of Cilicia and Galatia. And if you notice, the the lines follow Paul's journey because the book of Acts follows Paul's journey. We actually don't get to see what happens with Barnabas, but we follow what takes place with Paul. And initially, he leaves Antioch and goes to his hometown of Tarsus, and then they go to Derbe and Lystra and Iconium and go through all of the, the cities that they had visited in that region on their first missionary journey, revisiting these same old churches that they had planted before. And it's while they're going through these churches in the midst of this that our passage picks up. And so if you would, uh, join me at verse 1 of chapter 16. We'll pick this up together. <clears throat> 
Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, meaning he wasn't Jewish and he wasn't a follower of Jesus. He was Greek in every respect. And he, Timothy, was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. All right, so uh, his mother, Timothy's mother, is a, is a Jewish follower of Jesus, as is he, but his father is Greek, which comes into uh, significant play here in just a minute. But basically, Paul's going through these cities, and as he is, he meets this young follower of Jesus by the name of Timothy who is uh, someone that everybody respects and likes, and Paul does too, as he meets him and gets to know him, so much so that he actually invites him to join uh, in these missionary endeavors. He recruits him to the team. And this is actually the beginning of a really significant relationship in Scripture. You could actually say it's, it's one of the most significant mentor-mentee relationships that we see in the entire Bible. And you can see that just from the writings that they kind of collaborated on, as uh, in the New Testament, Two of the letters, 1st and 2nd Timothy, were actually written from Paul to Timothy when Timothy was pastoring in the city of Ephesus. And then six of Paul's other letters actually named Timothy as a co-author. And so you can see just from that alone the significance of this relationship. And it began right here. But before they could actually join in ministry together, before they could kind of get things underway here, there were some hurdles that Timothy had uh, to clear. And so if you join me in verse 3. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, right? That's the desire. That's the invitation right there. Next comes the hurdle. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And so I think it's important to note, just in light of the Jerusalem council that we covered a couple weeks back uh, in chapter 15, that Paul does not have Timothy receive circumcision here in order to receive forgiveness. It's not part of salvation, but the motivation for doing so is evangelistic. Because the thing is, Timothy's mother is Jewish, right? Which means he is also, but his father is Greek, which is the reason why he was never circumcised himself because even though he's Jewish, his father raised him to be Greek. And the thing is, all of the Jewish people in these cities, they know this about Timothy. And so when it comes to reaching these people with the gospel, Timothy doesn't stand a chance because in their eyes, because he lacks circumcision, he's an apostate Jewish person. He has rejected God. He has turned his back on God. And so he doesn't have a hope of of even gaining an audience with them. And for him to join the team with that reputation wouldn't just deter his ability, but it would affect Paul's also. And so Paul doesn't have Timothy receive this in order to to gain salvation, but it's in order to reach people with the gospel. He leans into his Jewishness in a way that he never had before to reach people with the gospel, to remove that stumbling block. And thankfully, the strategy works. Verse 4. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem, right? So they're going through these cities and delivering the news to the churches of the Jerusalem council, the decision that they had reached. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. That's the result, right? Because they... um, because they were willing to go through these things in order to to do ministry and to reach people, the churches continued to grow and people were continued to reach with the gospel. 
And, and to some extent, I think their motivation for doing so comes from an understanding of the gospel, right? That, that they were willing to not just kind of tack evangelism onto certain pieces of their lives that kind of already happened to be there, but, but Timothy and Paul, they were willing to alter even the shape of their lives altogether for this. This was such a priority, this evangelistic focus. And, and I think it become, it's because of this understanding of the gospel that Jesus has done the same for us, that when he took on our humanity, Right? When he stepped down from glory, as the song said, when he entered into our uh, messy situation and painful situation, he did so in order to bring about our salvation. Uh, he altered the shape of everything that had to do with his life to bring about our good. And so now they're willing to do the same, which honestly is challenging for us to consider what that might look like for us. Right, to, to not just kind of tack evangelism onto whatever shape our lives already happen to have, but to take this and let this be the thing that actually shapes our lives right, and alters the way that we go about life. What would that look like for us? Right, because the thing is, people are hurting. Right, people are in pain. And I don't know to what extent that you see this and you notice this on a, on a daily basis, that the people who surround so many of us, that they're going through life suffering, right? looking for a sense of hope and peace and even a sense of direction for their lives because people need the gospel. We need this. And when we receive it, our lives are changed, right? That's the evidence alone of how much we need this, which is part of what we celebrated all last weekend as people were getting baptized one after another, declaring that the gospel of Jesus Christ has changed their lives and for the better. It changes us for the better because we need it. All right, and I know, that, I know that there's so many of us here who know this because we've experienced it. It's had an impact on our lives for the better. And so if that's you, could I get a little participation? Would you say, it changed me? It changed me. That's right. It changed me, and thank God it changed me. And the question is, are we willing to do what, what Paul and Timothy, to go to the lengths that they were willing to go to, to alter even the shape of our life altogether so that other people have the opportunity to experience the same? Are we willing? All right, so at this point in the journey, Paul and the team that he's formed here with him and Silas and Timothy, and even Luke, the author, actually joins in at this point. They're, they've revisited all of the territory that Paul had been to prior, but they found themselves on the brink of uncharted territory. And Paul isn't forming this team just to cover the same old ground that he'd already tread before, but his motivation is to move into uncharted territory for the gospel, to plant churches in brand new cities where they did not yet exist. And there are plenty of them that surround them. And so it's to see what happens with this team next that I want to move into the second point now, searching finding the direction, finding the direction. And 
Uh, jumping into this, let's just kind of, we'll pull up that map again. And so this is what they're doing here, right? They're on the brink of uncharted territory and trying to figure out where do we go, right? It's kind of a blank canvas from here. Everything to the, to the west, whether you go kind of northwest or southwest, everything in that direction is wide open. And verse 6 tells us that Paul's leaning is actually to go into the region of Asia, which most likely meant uh, cities like Ephesus, major cities along the coast that were very influential in the region and even throughout the Roman Empire. And so it seems like that's the plan. That's his intention, right? That's plan A. And it seems like a good plan until this happens. Verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia because they had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Meaning it was a good plan until God said no. And and, and then afterwards, they're kind of stuck trying to figure out, well, okay, it's not that direction. Well, then where should we go? Uh, What should we do next if it's not there? And they just kind of begin to wander north through the region of Galatia and into Mycenae, and eventually they do land on a plan B, right? They figure out if it's not that, then maybe it's this direction. Maybe we're supposed to go north into Bithynia. So if you could pull up the map again, the the next one, and this seems to be the next direction, right? They've wandered into Mycenae, and uh, we'll go north into Bithynia. That's where we're supposed to plant churches. Again, seems like a great plan, plan B, until... Uh, this happens. Verse 7. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. The Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. That's a clear red light, meaning plan B as well is another dead end. And you can feel this kind of growing sense of confusion as they're continuing to wander throughout this region of the world, right? Trying to figure out, well, okay, if Asia to the south is out, then we're not going that way, but maybe we can go to the north. But no, I guess Bithynia is out. We're not going to go back east where we came from. And so where are we supposed to go? And, and as verse 8 tells us, they just kind of continue to wander west, trying to find some sense of direction until eventually they come up to the coast, And they land in the city of Troas, which, fun fact, was about 30 miles up the coast from the ancient city of Troy. But but the point is, they've run out of room to wander in. They've run out of ground to explore. And so they've got this direction that they could go in, but, but Asia is a red light, so they're not supposed to go there. And they could go in this direction to the north to Bithynia, but that's a red light. Right? And the whole point of the journey is to go into uncharted territory. So going back here, it doesn't make any sense. Right? They've got to go forward. But at this point, there's no more room to move. Right? They've hit the coast and there's nowhere to go. And so where are they supposed to go? What are they supposed to do? It doesn't make sense as they're wandering through this region, trying to get a sense of where we're supposed to go, searching and praying and doing everything they can to get a sense of direction for this journey. But up until this point, they have nothing. They have nothing but red lights at every turn. And the question I want to ask is, have you ever found yourself in that place? where it feels like all you keep running into in life is dead ends. Red lights at every turn. And as a matter of fact, let me get a little more participation on this. If you've been in that situation 
Let, let me hear it. Say, I've been there. Been there. That's, I feel for you. <laughs> because the truth is, at the situation that Paul and Timothy have found themselves in here is something that's familiar to so many of us. And it's the difficulty of navigating the question, how, how do we live according to God's will for our lives? In this specific situation, in this specific season of life, right? How, how do we figure out where we're supposed to go, what we're supposed to do? How do we navigate God's will for our lives? I think that's the question that this passage is trying to raise. And thankfully, it does provide some answers. And these are, these are some of the things that it points out or that we can pull out of the story itself. Right, first off, I think it's worth noting that that actually should be our approach because it's not always. Right? It's not always our approach that we recognize that God actually does have a will for our lives and that we can strive to live according to it, but we should. Right? We should strive to do that, which is what we see Paul doing all throughout this story as continually he's seeking out God's will and responding to it. And when God says no, he listens. He responds in obedience. Because the only place that Paul wants to be is where God actually wants him to be. And so that's his motivation, right? to, to stay in obedience, because obedience is the place in which direction is found. Maybe not immediately, but eventually. And I think that's worth considering, right? When it comes to the major decisions of our lives, to, to recognize that God does have an opinion about how he wants us to go about this life and to seek that out and to try and live according to that and to let that be our guide. Right, that's first. But then the second one is just important. And it's that Paul is very intentionally here not trying to discern God's direction for his life alone. This isn't a project that you go about in isolation, but he intentionally is forming this team so they can do this in community. They can discern God's direction together. And I think there's something to be said for that, that when we're trying to figure out, should I pursue this job or should I go for that promotion or should I pursue marriage with this person, that, that, that just, you know, there's a level to which we have ownership for the decision, right? And so it is yours to make, but having the input of friends and family that you respect and who care about you, that's just wise. We're meant to make these decisions with the wisdom that we gain from community. And as we lean into these things, into this approach, this understanding that God does have a will for our lives and that we can seek to live according to that, and as we do so in community, the direction we're searching for will make itself known. Because obedience is the place in which direction is found. And that's exactly what we go, to see on, go on to see in this story. As finally, right, while they're trapped in Troas, red lights in every direction, trying to figure out what they're supposed to do, finally, God makes his will known and clear and simple. Verse nine, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. This is while they're in Troas. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, 
Immediately, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And just like that, right, they're struggling, they're trying to figure it out. And just like that, this vision comes out of nowhere, and they understand what they're supposed to do and where they're supposed to go. It clarifies the vision as, if we could pull that map up here, this is kind of what we see, right? They, they had come to the end of that, uh, the, that entire continent, right? And then all of a sudden, the vision appears of this man from Macedonia across the Mediterranean Sea in the continent of Europe. And they know this is the direction, right? A place that they probably never expected to go. But this vision goes on to chart the course for the entirety of the rest of the second missionary journey as they introduce the gospel to the continent of Europe for the very first time in all of history. Now, that's something that we'll explore over the next several weeks, but if the question is, how are we supposed to navigate the will of God for our lives, then the answer is direction is, obedience is the place in which direction is found, and obedience always places us in community. It's obedience and community, and as we lean into these things, we're able to navigate the red lights of life and God's direction becomes clear. All right, now, all that being the case, there's one other angle on this that I wanna explore because just, just in prepping for this, honestly, just, just had a sense that this was a direction that I should go in and kind of felt like God was saying, lean into this area specifically. And so here it is. All right, there's a passage in the Old Testament, book of Proverbs, chapter 19, verse three, that reads like this. It says, when a man's folly leads him to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. I think there are some of you who are here this morning, and you may be here in person, you may be watching this online, but however you're accessing this, however you're engaging, you're here this morning and you're angry. You're, you're angry. You might not even know exactly why. You might not understand where it's coming from, but you are. You are angry. And specifically, you're angry with God. And I think the chances are it's because at some point in the past, you had a clear understanding of what God wanted for you, and intentionally, you chose to go the other way. You chose to go against what God wanted for you, even though the red lights were clear, but because you wanted what was on the other side so badly, it didn't matter. And you went for it. And let me just say, understandably so, I'm not trying to, to shame you for that, because the truth is we all do that to some extent. We all do that. Because we believe that whatever's on the other side of the red light, we think that that can give us something we're lacking. We think that that can deliver to us something that we're longing for, that obedience can't. We think that can bring us life. We think that can bring us freedom. We think that that can bring us fun and excitement and to some extent, maybe even a sense of purpose. And so even though the red lights are clear, we go for it. And more often than not, it's a straight course to ruin and to consequences, right? And I don't know what the specifics are for you, right? Maybe... Maybe you were excited to move into the city and 
you know, enjoy some of the freedoms of adulthood for the first time, no strings attached. And so you're going out on the weekends and you're with this person one night and you're with another person the next. And, and maybe that's fun for a while, but, but you found yourself a little down the road from that. And the only thing it's left you with is this feeling of regret and this feeling of loneliness and this longing for a relationship that actually has substance to it but you feel like you have no idea how to get there. Or maybe it was a different kind of situation. Maybe, maybe it had to do with work, right? You, you got this sweet job in the city. Maybe it was a promotion, right? Something that you were really excited about, making good money for the first time in your life and enjoying that elevation and status and, and everything was good for a while. But, but then as, as time began to pass, you got a sense that, that everything wasn't quite right with this, whether it was just requiring more of you than what was right or, or even just something with the integrity of the environment itself. But you had a sense that things aren't right here. But it didn't matter. You didn't care. And so you just kept going with it. And as the hours kept stacking up and as the responsibilities and the projects and the number of things on your plate, they just kept growing until it's gotten to the point that life is, that work isn't just one part of your life, it is your life. It has consumed everything. And it's not fun anymore, the excitement is gone and the pace is crushing you. But you can't see any way out of it. You feel trapped, right? And whatever the details, whatever the specifics are for you, maybe you're here this morning and you don't even believe in God. You don't even know why you're here or why you're watching this because this is all something you rejected years ago. But you're looking for any way out you can find of the situation that you found yourself in, any way out of the pain and the anger and the depression that you feel trapped in because your heart rages over the place you found yourself in life. Because when a person's folly brings them to ruin, their heart rages against the Lord. And if that is you this morning, the thing I wanna say to you is there's hope and there is healing and there is life for you yet because you're not as trapped as you feel. Because Jesus died, not so that you could come to believe in him and then walk in perfect obedience for the rest of your life, but so that even when we would stray, which we all will inevitably do, there would always be a way back. So that no matter how far you strayed, so that no matter how long you strayed, there would always be a way to step back into obedience. Because obedience isn't just the place in which we find direction. Obedience is the place in which we find so many of the things that we long for in this life. It's where we find life and it's where we find joy and it's where we find peace and it's where we find hope and it's where we find love because obedience is the place in which our relationship with God grows. And because of that, it's the place in which we find a richness and a depth and a purpose for our lives and so many of the things that we end up chasing on the other side of so many red lights. When the reality is the only way to find them 
is in a relationship with God and in obedience. Because obedience is the place in which we find direction and so much more. And so if that is you this morning, the point is, what I'm trying to say, the invitation to return is always there. It's always there. And you're not as trapped as you feel. All right, now as we get ready to close, let me just say one more thing about this. Uh, obedience, right, whether it, whether it has to do with what we receive from Scripture or even specific direction we receive in the context of community and our relationship with God, it's never, it's often not an easy thing. Obedience often isn't an easy matter because it requires something of us when God calls us to something, but it requires something, but it's always worth it, right? And I know that there are a lot of you in here who you know this, you've experienced that, that God has called you to something and it required a lot, but at the end of the day, you know that it was worth it. And so if that's you, let me hear you say, it's worth it. Amen, it is worth it. Right, because that's true for Paul. Right, what we see throughout the book of Acts, right, and we see even in the second missionary journey, it required something of him to follow this vision. It required courage and sacrifice and perseverance, but what it led to was something remarkable. As he and the team, they introduced the gospel into the continent of Europe for the very first time in all of history. So much stems from this journey because he was willing to follow the vision. And the same was true for Jesus, right? That he gave up not just something, but everything when he gave his life on the cross. But he did so because of what it would lead to. It led to our salvation and it created the possibility that we could live for the will of God in this life. And the same is true for you. That when God calls you to something in a specific way, it will require something of you, most likely courage and sacrifice and perseverance. It won't be easy. But what it will lead to will always be worth it. It'll always be worth it. But the thing is, the only way to get there is one step at a time through obedience, because obedience is the place in which direction is found, and so much more. Let's pray together. Jesus, we do thank you. Um, We thank you for the ability to, to go about this life in relationship with you. We thank you that you do have an opinion about uh, the way that we steward and, and handle and navigate the different opportunities and challenges of this life. Uh, we thank you for the guidance that you give us, both in our relationship with you and scripture and community. And we thank you for the fruit that comes and for the good things that come uh, when we are willing to step out and to follow you in the ways that you're leading us. And I just want to ask that, that in this community, in these lives, in these households, in these families, in this church, that you would fill us with your spirit and give us a willingness to step out and follow you into whatever you're calling us to and that it would bear incredible fruit in this city. 
uh, for the good of so many who surround us and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.